the joy has been mine as well. I've shared that with most of you here, and I've said it from the pulpit here. For every kindness, for every consideration, for every compliment, if, if you gave me a criticism, it, I missed it, I'm sorry. I, I, I do try to pay attention to those too because I can learn from them. Um, <clears throat> the closest thing I came to a criticism here was from Eliana, and uh, she has given me note after note after note after note, and it's, it's usually said from Eliana to you, and oftentimes it looks like this on the inside. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I would ask her, you know, what these were, flowers and things like that. So she is, she's given me flowers almost every, every supper time. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I think the other night I had maybe seven or eight that were lining all the way around my plate. So it's just, she's the first person that's ever done that in any revival or anything I've ever been in. Um, most people are waiting to give me my flowers when I'm dead, but uh, <clears throat> she gives them to me while I'm alive. The closest thing I've had to a criticism, though, came from her, and uh, last night she looked at me and she goes, Brother Tucker, are you going to tell any good stories? <laughs> Scripture says out of the mouth of babes, you know, you will... <laughs> I love it. I've so enjoyed their children getting to, you know, a lot of times I, I get to know the pastors and maybe the wife, but not unless I go to the parsonage, I don't get to know the children often. And uh, the, their children have been such a compliment to them. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I, I don't know where else to go with it. And um, I left here also a thank you card to the church. Uh, I thank you for the offering. I haven't got one, but I thank you for it. <laughs> it was just an assumption, so. <clears throat> does my heart good when people are paying attention. It just does. You get that kind of feedback, you know what I mean? I was thinking... You know, if, if I start making my way back to Fort Gratiot, Michigan, and I hold up a sign that says, we'll work for food, they're going to take one look at me and they're going to think, he's going to be there a while. So. <laughs> so, yeah, poor, poor Brother Morfer, I kind of felt bad for him the other night. He's trying to explain something. People feel awkward describing my physique. They They do. They just do, and um, <clears throat> I understand. I get all that. One time I was at a ministerial, and <clears throat> I had stepped up to a salad bar because we were in between services, and there was a pastor's wife. I hardly knew her. I mean, I knew her by name, but I, you know, you know people by name, but you don't know them. You know, I didn't know her well enough, and she didn't know me well enough for what she said. Let's just put that. It was about me. And the only thing that came out of her mouth was, she's standing right next to me. She, she didn't say it real loud. She goes, do your wife a favor and go fat free. <laughs> yes, ma'am, some people will say anything, and I remembered that. 
because I was preaching at Stoneboro Camp Meeting where there can be 2,000, 2,500. And I saw her in the service. And it hit me. And I didn't think this one through. <laughs> and I told that little story just like I told you, and I did not reveal her name. And I said, she's here. Of course, you know, half of those women are looking around like, did you do it? <laughs> there are all these preachers' wives are looking at each other like, oh. <clears throat> and I said, ma'am, I didn't actually look her in the eye. I knew exactly where she... Uh, the tavern, I, I, she was sitting more to my, you know, more to my left, about midway. But I didn't draw attention specifically to her other than telling the story. And people were just kind of gasping, you know, just, <gasps> you know, that asthma thing that hits a congregation like they did down in West Virginia. And <clears throat> I said, you know, <clears throat> folks, I was really good. I, I, I withheld. But I said, I have a long, I've had a long time to think about it. And uh, I've got a reply for you, ma'am. I said, do your, fa- do your husband a favor and go get a facelift. So, <clears throat> let's all stand together. And that's exactly what I did next. Let's stand together. <laughs> the problem with picking on a preacher is he might turn you into a sermon illustration. <laughs> I've, I've had a few people come to me and say, oh, Brother Tucker, did, no, did you feel bad about that? No. <laughs> no, I did not. I still don't. <clears throat> the, the, I guess the closest I feel, I feel bad about not feeling bad about it, so we'll leave it at that one. So here's what we're going to do. Let's see, it is, what do we got here? I'm still on Michigan time, so it's 424, but I'm thinking that is three, you know, maybe 323, 324. Let's, let's be done here at 4 o'clock, shall we? And I understand that afternoon services are not easy because we are. We're, we're good holiness people, and we know how to take our rest on the afternoon. But you, you're the ones who chose this punishment, so <laughs> you get, you're going to get it, okay? And uh, I want to be done at 4 o'clock. So here's what I need to do. I need a person. I need a person over in this section that when we get to 4 o'clock, will you please raise your hand? Will somebody do that? Which one of you will do it? Okay, you'll do it, okay? Thank you. I need a person from this section that when we get to four o'clock, and I'm really being serious about this, would you raise your hand? Who will do it? Which person here will do it for me? I need someone. Okay, you'll do it. These are always the people who are anxious for this to be done, so. (laughs) Do you not now know that there's a setup when it comes to me, and this side over here, they're like, no, nah, I'm not even going there. <laughs> because you know what I was getting ready to say? When we get to four o'clock and I feel like I need to keep preaching, I'll go, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. <laughs> I've learned these things. <laughs> I've spoke a couple places in my life, so... <laughs> Oh my! Well, no. Let's let's uh, let's cut, let's bring this to a close at four o'clock, unless <clears throat> there was some unless somebody were to come to an altar, and we will not rush that. We'll take all the time in the world. If for some reason you need to pray, what I'd like to do is I'd like to leave you with a sense of encouragement this afternoon. 
I understand there's a lot of things that can be preached about and preached on. And if you will notice something, it's not because I do not believe in them, but I did not address standards as we are accustomed to hearing. Uh, I don't know that I've really come right out and preached a gospel message about salvation, which is kind of odd in a revival. I've not dedicated an entire message to holiness, which I believe in holiness very, very much. Matter of fact, everything that I'm doing is all within the context that holiness is, holiness is the thing that has brought me through. Not psychology. I, I like, I enjoy studying psychology. But that's not the thing that has, has been the thing that has carried me through. It's been, a, it's been a surrendered heart, even in the most difficult of times. And, um, but the peculiarity of this revival is I've not preached that. Uh, but I have preached some things where I've watched some people really struggle. And it's, it's not unique to one portion of the country or one section of the world. It's, it's just human conditions. When we go through things as God's people after we're saved and sanctified, and all, everything that you heard me describe this week was in the context of a saved and spirit-filled Christian. And I still had to process all that. So let's do this. Let's, let's take some encouragement this afternoon and what I'm going to title this is, it's nothing unique, but just simply run the race. Run the race. So here's where we'll go. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read verses number 1 and 2. Now, if, it, if the wording is slightly different, because I'm using the New King James Version, all right, but it's going to be very, very close uh, to the King James, or uh, unless you have something completely different that you use. But Hebrews chapter 12 Beginning with verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse number 2. It gives us these words. Therefore, and remember something about the New Testament, when you find a wherefore or a therefore, find out what the therefore is wherefore or the wherefore is therefore. Okay? Does that make sense? That was a play on words, but anyhow, it works for me. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, I pray that one more time, that your Holy Spirit will come and that you will minister to us. Lord, I need your help. I need your direction. I'm not interested in preaching a sermon just because, Lord, that's what's expected of me. But Lord, I, I desire to glorify you. I desire to lift you up. That Lord, that all others may see you, not myself, but they may see you. I thank you for this good people. I thank you for this church. I thank you, dear Lord, for the fellowship that we have. I thank you, dear Lord, obviously for the Christian testimony that is so abundantly clear here. And I pray that you'll bless every individual. Cause us, dear Lord, to run the race that is set before us because, Lord, none of us have made it yet. And yet we pray today that your will will be done. Enable us empower us, encourage us. Lord, if necessary, convict us or correct us. But nonetheless, help us to make it, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, he gave this admonition. He said, run that you may obtain. In other words, Christians serving God is like uh, being involved in the Olympic Games. This is the analogy that Paul, the Apostle Paul is using. He wanted to give this lesson as, a, as the Christian quest. It was a sight that was familiar to the Corinthian Christians. And in particular, I want to focus on the races. First of all, that point number one would be, let's just look at the runner. Now there's rigors of training. And then the days of the Apostle Paul, athletes began to train at least 10 months in advance. Today, they train almost sometimes entire lifetimes. They are exerting themselves to the fullest potential. But in order to do that, there is this sense, there is this agenda of self-mastery. And the self-mastery, oftentimes we understand it, the greatest obstacle to overcome is not other people, it is not other things, but it is usually yourself. My son has helped me to understand this after going to the Michigan uh, State Police Academy for 21 weeks. Uh, they pushed him so hard, and he was already in good shape. He blew out both shoulders, and he ripped one bicep into week number 13. He had to go 21 weeks. He still had to do push-ups with a ripped bicep and shoulders. He still had to do chin-ups. He still had to do all the rigors, because they told him, if you walk out, you're fired. They would give him ice packs. They would give him ibuprofen. And after he graduated from the recruit school, the first thing he did was get, have surgery on, on all three of these places. And he's done fine with it now. But he went through that. And consequently, what it ended up doing was the other state troopers and the other, uh, the other recruits, they have a very, very high respect for my son after he endured all of that with those physical conditions. And it was rigorous. <clears throat> I suppose that uh, <clears throat> some of the discouragements that can come along in life, though, are they are oftentimes from other people and even sometimes good people. Uh, <clears throat> you remember a point in the story that I told this week when the Lord asked me the question, are you willing to go back to public school? And I said, yes. I, ha I did have to go back for a time period in between jobs and uh, one of the, I'm sorry to have to tell this, I will not tell the name, but one of the teachers from Union Bible Seminary also taught at the local high school, the public high school. One day he met me in the hall, and I mean, he, he let me know. He looked at me and he goes, Nathaniel, why are you here? And I explained to him the situation with the job. I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, you'll never make it. Now, let me just encourage you not to do something. Please don't look at a teenager who's trying to make it and tell them you'll never make it. It's just not a good thing to do. And uh, <clears throat> at that particular point, um, somebody got word about that. And they went, and here, here's what their testimony was. Here, was. here was their statement. They said, well, he doesn't know Nathaniel Tucker, but I'll take that one a step further. They, he, didn't, he didn't understand my God. Okay, my God can keep a teenager under, under any circumstance, at any place, at any time. My God can keep an elderly person under any circumstance, at any place, at any time. I don't care what your age is or what your circumstances are. God can keep you faithful under those conditions. 
And God did help me to remain faithful to him and true to him, which I was so thankful for. I, uh, <clears throat> I've shared a variety of things with you. I, I have godly in-laws, but um, <clears throat> I, uh, this, this, one, this one's on the light side, so be prepared. But you probably thought I might do something like that this afternoon. I'm, I'm one of these pa- pastors I love to call. I, I think one of my most favorite things of doing in the ministry is where I, I make house calls. I call on my people. I love to be with them. I love to sit down. It's enjoyable. I feel comfortable 99.9% of the time doing what I'm doing up here. But my real, my real enjoyment is when I can come to the people's homes and sit down with them and fellowship with them. And we can talk about this. We can talk about that. Usually it's about the things of God, but not always. You know, just good, wholesome fellowship. And I I enjoy making hospital calls, not because people are going through difficulty, but my mother-in-law, she was scheduled for a hip surgery. And I've learned a long time ago that uh, when a person is coming out of anesthesia, it is actually a truth serum. And I decided to use this to my advantage, being that I have a very healthy relationship with my mother-in-law and all. She had come through the surgery. The doctor had come to us and said it was very successful. My wife was with me. My father-in-law was with me. My brother-in-law was with me. And I got right down in my mother-in-law's ear. She was kind of half out of the anesthesia and half into reality. And I got right down in her ear. And I mean, as pastoral as I knew how to, as loving as I knew how to, I said to her, I love my son-in-law. You know, I'm trying to put this into her brain. So she'll be thinking about this. I said, I love my son-in-law. And with her eyes still closed, she said it kind of in a loud whisper. She goes, slightly better than the devil. (laughs) People, now I know. I know the obstacles I'm up against. Oh, trying to overcome that kind of discouragement. Now that'll just get you down now. <laughs> you know, I actually called Reader's Digest and I told them that story and they said, oh, we would love that story. And they said, we'll send you the paperwork. And I looked it over. And did you know that if I would have submitted that story to them, they would have paid me $300 for that story. But the conditions were I could never, ever use it again. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to make way more than 300 bucks preaching that sermon, that illustration. No, no way is Reader's Digest getting that one. That one's just too good to hang on to. So <clears throat> we can get discouraged with people. And I just say that one all in fun. And my mother-in-law, we've had a, a ton of fun with it. People sometimes can discourage you, even the best of people. Hopefully they've not done it on, on purpose. They have not done it intentionally. But once in a while, people can really discourage us. But can I tell you something? <clears throat> In all of our, in this race for heaven, this run for heaven that you and I are on this this afternoon, it's worth it. It's worth it to encourage ourselves even when people misunderstand us or they don't get us or even if they were to criticize us. There's something to be learned in all of that. Then second of all this, this afternoon, there's the whole idea of the race itself. Now, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
I know one of the most unnecessary weights in life is looking back. I have learned that you cannot run a race looking backwards. It just simply does not work. Matter of fact, the the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. When I was pastoring at the Erie Wesleyan Methodist Church, we had a bus ministry where we would bring in typically 50 to 70 children on any given Sunday morning. But the custom of our church was we had a whole team of people who would go out in the community on Saturday morning. We would knock on the doors of the children who were already established because we had three routes. And we would make sure, are they coming tomorrow? We would meet the parents. We would meet the grandparents. And uh, we would also knock on brand new doors. I, I do remember one particular quarter that I, I had personally knocked on over 500 doors, uh, door-to-door calling. We were very, very busy. And uh, it was paying off very well. But I began to become friends with some of the, especially some of the uh, oftentimes uh, grandparents who were raising grandchildren. Mom and dad were out of the picture. And one of those grandparents, it was a black couple, very elderly. We just simply referred to him as Pappy. Pappy, one day, I I knocked on the door and he was sitting there, very elderly individual, too elderly to even get up comfortably. And he looked at me and said, come on in, preacher, come on in. So I I made my way and I said, Pappy, how you doing? He said, good. He goes, hey, he goes, hey, Reverend. (coughs) He said, I got a friend here who is a reverend like you. I said, is that right? And I went over and I I shook his hand and he and I began to get acquainted. And all of a sudden, for some reason, this guy is probably about as old as Pappy. And he felt the need to preach his entire sermon to me right then and there. And I'll never forget this sermon. This fellow there, I don't even remember what his name was, but I had actually squatted down kind of like this got down on one knee and I, I, I took a hold of his hand and shook his hand and he kind of let go. And he said he was actually leaning on a cane in front of him and he had his chin resting right there. And he said, you're a reverend? I said, yes, sir. He says, I am too. I said, that's good. He says, you know what I'm preaching tomorrow? This, remember, this is Saturday. I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, I'm going to preach a message called In Spite Of. I went, really? I said, okay, that sounds good. That was a mistake. You don't ever tell a preacher that was good because I'm going to tell you, they'll give you double the dose, double the dose. So don't amen me because we'll be in here till five o'clock and we don't want to do that. We don't need double the dose. Oh, somebody just amen me. I just heard it, but <clears throat> I told you not to do that. But any, okay, <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> so, anyhow, this older black preacher began to preach this message about the, the Passion Week of Christ. Honestly, literally the best message I've ever heard on the sufferings of Jesus. And when he got to that part, after they had taken him off the cross, and I think that I can mimic it, I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you how good it was. Personally, I enjoy listening to black preachers because they say it in a way that none of the rest of us say it. 
you want to talk about flavor, I'll tell you. It's, it's flavor, okay? And the way he is, he is pronouncing things and where he is putting the emphasis upon the, the truth. And it was good. It was really good. Now, remember, the name of the message is in spite of. And he said, he, he went just like this. He said, they took him down off that cross. And they put him in a tomb, but in spite of the grave, he come up out of there three days later. That's pretty good preaching when you're leaning on Cain. And I mean, he began to articulate it. He said he went trucking up out of that tomb up the Milky Way and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father ever making intercession for us. And he said he came up out of that tomb in spite of that Roman cross. He came up out of that tomb in spite of those nails. He came up out of that tomb in spite of that crown of thorns. He came up out of that tomb in spite of the opinions. And I'm going, yes, sir, yes, sir. I mean, boy, man, he's, this guy's into it. I never heard such a good message preached over top of Canaan all my life. But the whole time he's preaching this, this message in spite of, he got a big wad chew. He'd say in spite of and then spit, in spite of and spit. You know what it was, right? Tobacco. <clears throat> Well, I mean, he'd preach and he'd spit, and he'd preach and he'd spit, and he'd preach and he'd spit. Finally, I, I looked at him, and his eyes were big, and he was excited, and he had the preach in him, and he'd lost a lot of his spit by this point, and spitting that tobacco. And I said, I said, sir, I began to kind of highlight and articulate his message back to him, and he's getting excited about because he'd tell, he could tell I'd paid attention. I said, sir, I said, I said, in spite of those Roman, those, those, that, that, that cross and those nails that the Romans pierced his hands with and his feet with, he'd go, yes, sir, yes, sir. I said, in spite of that tomb, I said, he came out, I said, he's going, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I said, in spite of all the criticism, I said, as you said, he is trucking up the Milky Way and sitting on the right hand of the Father. He goes, yes, sir, yes, sir. I said, I got a question for you. He goes, yes, sir, what is that? I said, this same Jesus that did all this in spite of, you think he can deliver you from that stuff in your mouth? And Pappy's sitting over there listening to it, and he goes, oh, press the question, brother, press the question. <laughs> and this old black preacher who had just preached this tremendous message, he reared up a little bit, and he goes, well, I don't want to be delivered. And I went, yes, sir. That's usually the case. People don't. They want to be forgiven, but they don't want to be delivered. And Paul said, let's lay aside every weight and every sin which so doth easily be said. I have no idea. I, I don't think anybody... Nobody here looks like they've come to church with a big wad in their mouth. I don't think that's the issue. But there may be some secret things that only you and only God, maybe your spouse, possibly your children, but you and God, you definitely know about. Could I give you encouragement and tell you this? You can be delivered so that you can run the race. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> we have... We have the rigors, and we have <clears throat> the race. I remember when, when I did have to go there to public high school for a little while, 
Uh, one of the things, of course, in public high school that you have, we, back in those days, we called it PE, which stood for physical education. And I remember that uh, for the next uh, six weeks, uh, PE was going to consist of track. I'm not a runner, I, um, except right now I can run faster mad, or excuse me, I can run faster scared than you can mad, okay? So if I really tick you off, I can outrun you, okay? Just, just telling you. And <clears throat> um, for the next six weeks, we're going to run track. I, actually, I have rather short legs. I get my height from my weight, waist up. And so my legs are short. They're, they've never been good for running, at least in, in any type of competitive sport. And um, <clears throat> I, I thought, oh dear, this is going to be bad. Because in PE, we also had all those who were in football and play baseball and play basketball, those who were running track. So this was really not a big deal for a lot of those guys. But for me, it was a big deal. I wasn't overweight by, I mean, not even a stretch of the word, but it was, so that wasn't the issue, but I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be a difficult six weeks. But you know, I decided to just change my attitude about it because everything is difficult to the unwilling. You know that. And I thought, well, okay, I'm here. So I would run from the high school, clear out to the track, which was clear on the other side of the campus, the school campus. I would run there, and once we got there, we kept running. And I would do all those laps around the track. Sometimes I'd have to slow it down to a walk. And the coach was good with me. He, he didn't give me a hard time. He saw that I was putting extra effort into this thing. But the, the, the finals for that, that, that six weeks were we were going to have to pass the baton. Now there's four people usually, uh, at least in this particular race, you have the person starting out with the baton, and then uh, they pass it off to the second person who passes off to the third, and then the, the, you have the runner who brings it home. And uh, I, was, I was placed in, in position number three on my team, which <clears throat> that did not bring any comfort to my particular team because they knew that I just simply was not a runner. But I'd been practicing, and believe it or not, I'd actually picked up some endurance, and I had picked up a little bit of speed. After, after five weeks of doing all this, and, and I'll never forget that <clears throat> the runners, they, they'd started in the starting blocks, the first set of runners. We heard the gun go off. I'm at position number three. And uh, <clears throat> we saw them begin to make their way around the quarter part of that track. And the handoff was successful to all the team members. It was just one of those, those uh, aluminum batons that you would use. And uh, we'd, we'd been practicing even through the week of, you know, through those, five, those six weeks of how to, how to pass off the baton. And I remember all of a sudden something just real, the adrenaline kicked in. There was just something about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it everything I've got. I, I know that I'm not the fastest, but I am going to give it everything I've got, and I'm going to get as best of a grade that I can get in here. And, you know, whatever happens is what happens. So now the, the second set, uh, the second person has received the baton, and I'm getting myself into position. I've got my hand out, but I know, or actually it was my left hand. I know that he's coming. They're coming closer. Now I can hear the tennis shoes hitting the, the black top, and, and I, I started out into my small pace, and all of a sudden I felt that metallic, that aluminum baton touch my hand, and I gripped it. I, hang, I was hanging on to that thing for dear life. And I began to run. I honestly do not know if I've ever ran faster in my life. 
I didn't worry about who was thinking what. I wasn't thinking about world headlines. I wasn't thinking about my grades. I wasn't thinking about home. There was only one thing I had to do, and that was carry the baton to the the person who was in position number four so that they could try to win this race for our team. This is a team effort. It's only a quarter of a track run, but I began to give it everything I had. A few of the runners started to pass me up because the runner before me was actually, he was in the lead. So I had a little bit of an advantage. When I could hear that closing in on me, something else happened to me. I didn't know that there's a second stage of adrenaline. And that second stage of adrenaline kicked in. And now, I mean, my heart is beating. My legs are cooperating. My arms are in sync. I have one focus, one purpose. And I ran with all my heart. By this point, I can now hear people, even on the other teams, they're actually yelling for me, come on, Tucker, you can do it, Tucker. And I did not know that there's stage three to adrenaline. Kind of like nitro. I felt myself surge forward. I didn't even know I could do that. The only time I've ever felt the surge forward when I'm falling flat in my face. And I do understand that one. But I didn't fall flat on my face. I gave it everything I had. Now I transferred the baton over to my right hand and I began to time it. The only thing I'm looking at, I'm not looking back. I'm not looking to the side. I can hear people cheering me on and my heart is pounding. I am racing. I'm giving it everything I've got so that our team could win. And I passed off that baton. And I'll tell you what, people were still cheering. And, and uh, man, I'll tell you what, my heart was pounding. My, I was excited. And uh, people who have heard me, heard me preach this before, they've come to me afterwards. And they said, Brother Tucker, did your team win? I don't know. I was so excited that I ran the quarter track. I totally forgot if we won. I was just excited that I had done my part in the race. In a sense, it was a reward. So here's part three. We've looked at the, the runner. We've looked a little bit at the race. Why don't we look at the reward to conclude this? Hmm. You know what Paul wrote to Timothy with the same analogy, the same picture? And Here's what he wrote. He wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And can I remind you that back there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he said, you, he said to the, those, those Jewish Christians, he says, we are surrounded, we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, the apostle Paul was saying, you know what, <clears throat> the grandstands are full of people who have ran the race, they've crossed the finish line, and they're cheering us on from heaven. Have you ever thought about this? They're cheering us on from heaven. 
Back in 1996, when I was pastoring at Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, the, the 1996 were to be held in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, <clears throat> but as the custom is before the Olympics, they make several torches and they handpick people who are nominated by communities, uh, outstanding members, people who can actually carry the torch in a slow but methodical pace by jogging. And, and uh, <clears throat> this, this torch had started somewhere out on the West Coast. But what was, so, what was so unique was in the city of Erie, Pennsylvania, there was a factory there that had made all the Olympic torches. And so they decided before we take this thing south down to Atlanta, a, a lit torch, once they light the torch, the flame never goes out. Not until they lay it over in the, the Olympic cauldron where the, the rings are, the five rings, and you see this big basin of fire that's ignited. Once they light the torch out there on the West Coast, somebody's going to run that and keep that thing going. They're not going to stop for anybody. They're not going to stop for any weather. They will have police escorts. They'll do whatever it takes, and they'll just keep passing off the torch, or they'll give them new ones that are, that are full of fuel, and they'll, they'll, keep the, they'll keep the flame going. Let's put it like that. And so there was a big deal that year in 96 that the torch is coming home. So what happened was the day that it was scheduled to come home, <clears throat> people by the thousands began to line a street because they had a, a mapped out route. They were going to go to a city park where there was a small Olympic cauldron and a small set of the, the Olympic rings. And what they would do is they would light that cauldron there in, in honor of the torches being made in Erie, Pennsylvania for the 1996 Olympic Games. And I, I looked at my wife and I said, do you want to go? She goes, oh, I guess. I, I said, why don't we go? I said, this is kind of a unique thing. I said, I, maybe it's a once in a lifetime thing for us to see. I don't know. I didn't even really know what all to expect. And so we, um, <clears throat> we went, we set up lawn chairs and I mean, the, the streets were lined. The streets were lined actually for about five miles coming into the city. Both sides of the, of this charted out map of this route and and uh, every once in a while, Coca-Cola that year had sponsored uh, this segment of the torch relay. And as they're coming in every once in a while, uh, some Coca-Cola official would come through in a car and they'd get on the, they would get on the PA speaker and they would just begin to yell out, the torch is coming, the torch is coming. I mean, the cheers would go up on, you know, for five miles on both sides of the road. You, you could hear it coming. <clears throat> they were working the crowds. People would start getting out there in the, in the lane on the road and the police would come along on their on motorcycles and they'd tell the people to get back up on the sidewalks. But the whole thing was the torch is coming. The torch is coming. Well, I remember that uh, my son Nathan, he was actually up on my shoulders. And he could see over top of everybody and I'd say, Nathan, do you, do you see any kind of a flame yet? And he said, Daddy, he's just such a little guy. He said, Daddy, he says, I, I see something way down there, and it's, it's kind of bouncing. I said, what's it look like? He goes, it looks like it's on fire. I said, okay. And all of a sudden, we could hear people screaming, cheering, clapping. It was just a total atmosphere of festivity. 
And the closer it got, the louder the cheers became. Man, I had my camera ready, and pretty soon this guy comes by, and I see the torch. I'm snapping pictures. That's back in the day when you still had to develop them. I think I used a whole roll like this, you know, and I put down the camera next, you know, that being in that kind of a crowd is, is kind of catchy because next thing I find myself doing, I'm yelling, yeah, okay, yeah, I don't normally do that, and uh, I, the crowd kind of surged in behind it, we were close enough to the park, and I'll never forget watching that runner run the torch up there and laid the flame over into that cauldron, and I mean, it's whoosh. And the crowd went crazy. I remember that night going home and I began thinking about everything I'd seen that day and I, I, thought, about, I thought about what the Apostle Paul said. He said, um, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people who are cheering us on. What y'all don't know is that <clears throat> I had a great-grandmother that uh, she wore the prairie bonnet and her dresses were clear to the floor. She would sit by the wood stove there. When she was living with her daughter, my grandmother, that was the Nazarene pastor, my grandma Sheiks, she told me the stories about when she was a little girl, she came from Virginia all the way to Missouri by covered wagon. She said they tried farming there and the soil wasn't good or whatever happened, so they decided to relocate and they moved from Missouri up to southern Indiana, a place called Bedford, Indiana. And uh, when she would tell me how that as a little girl, it was her responsibility to harness the horses and take the harnesses off and oil the harnesses and rub down the horses and all these different things. I think it's kind of funny because she told me what it was like of when they, they actually built a cabin down in southern Indiana. My grandmother told me about... Um, You've all heard, have heard stories about people who go fishing with dynamite. My grandmother, her dad did. She, she would tell me that down in southern Indiana, she said they'd be fishing. She said my father would every once in a while just pull out a stick of dynamite. He'd light it and throw it in the river. And she said fish had come floating to the top, but she said what we really wanted was the river eels. And she told me how that they would skin them and cook them and they would can them. And I've, I've never eaten eel that I know of. But boy, I'm telling you, as a child, listening to all these things, I wish he was. I wish now that I would have had the presence of mind to know how to ask more questions to my grandmother, who was a real, true, bona fide pioneer. Because that, that's kind of still incredible history. Yeah, I really am that old. I mean, I may not look it, but I am. And uh, <clears throat> I got to thinking, though, my my great grandma, she was a godly woman. I can remember her, <clears throat> she had this little cane, that big prairie bonnet that she always wore, always had an apron on her. She was the type of woman that uh, we had a great big Tennessee walker. We, my grandfather had kept horses. And one day that great big Tennessee walker got out of the pasture. My little grandma, she's walking down there with her cane, just kind of making her way. I watched her go up to that horse. She took the cane. She smacked that horse upside the head. He reared up. She took the hook of her cane, grabbed it by the halter, and she, over her shoulder, she just took that horse right back into the pasture. You don't mess with the women in my family. I'm telling you, they're tough. They're just tough. <clears throat> my father, 
great big guy. He was watching that whole thing. He was laughing so hard. He said, Nathaniel, if that horse had killed her, I wouldn't have been able to help her. I was laughing so hard. He said, I was laughing so hard. And my dad was. Uh, my grandmother was the type of woman that uh, clear up. And matter of fact, she was out washing the outside of the windows on the, on the big farmhouse two weeks before she died. And she was 86. Just tough woman. I remember one particular time I had, uh, I knew she didn't like snakes. Being from Virginia and Missouri and southern Indiana and all, she's out hoeing in the garden. And uh, <clears throat> I had a great big long black rubber snake. It's a terrible thing to do that to a rubber snake. Turn those things loose over to your grandmother. Because I put that out in the garden thinking, <laughs> I bet you grandma can run. Grandma didn't run. Grandma had a hoe and she knows how to use it. Mm. I watched her chop up that black rubber snake to pieces. It was like a perfectly good rubber snake and she destroyed it. He didn't mess with her. She's got pioneer blood in her. <clears throat> but I also remember this godly grandmother. Two things, two other things stick out in my mind. When she prayed, she prayed. She didn't care who heard her or what her, her, could hear her. She prayed. And boy, she had a set of lungs for an old woman. She would pray. She'd pray over her children, and her grandson, my father. She's praying for us that God would do something with those kids. I don't know why she ever prayed like that over me, but anyhow, <clears throat> she would pray. And the other thing I remember about my grandmother is she did personal evangelism. She'd pack her pockets, those apron pockets full of gospel tracts. She was now too old to drive. She couldn't hardly see where she was going. She'd take that little cane and if she thought she saw a house, she'd go walking up there. And I mean, she's going all over the place. She'd knock on that door with her cane. The first words out of her mouth were, are you saved? And she was so elderly that people didn't turn her away. They respected her enough. I'm sure she had some doors slammed on her. But uh, <clears throat> she would begin to witness to people and she would give them gospel tracts. And once in a while, she'd just take me along with her. Uh, I would hold her hand. So I had a personal trainer when it came to personal evangelism. I didn't take the cane. I, I, don't, I still don't take those. But, uh, <clears throat> but you know what? That left an impression on me as a child. A huge impression and I got to thinking about this message and I thought about some people in my life that I have known, good people, godly people who have already gone on before me. And I'll tell you, once in a while when I get discouraged, I begin thinking about these kind of scriptures and I think, I wonder, I wonder if some of those saints are cheering me on. And you know what? Maybe it's just partly my imagination, but I think it's inspired. Every once in a while, it's almost like I can hear from heaven's grandstands. I hear people saying, come on, Tucker, you can make it. You can make it. Can I tell you something this afternoon? You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let down. Don't, don't give up. You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. And that's still a really good message to give on a Sunday afternoon, isn't it? Because you can make it. And there are people who are cheering us on. May the Lord help us to be able to know how to use some of this so that we can actually 
make it. <clears throat> I don't know, one of these days, one of these days, those of us who, people like you who are carrying a torch, you're carrying a testimony of God's grace, one of these days, you've, you've ran in the battle, you've ran in the heat of the day, the cold of the night, you've ran when you didn't feel like going on. But one of these days, heaven gate, heaven's gates are going to come into view. And all of a sudden, you're going to start thinking to yourself, this was so worth it. <laughs> this was worth it. And the flame, the flame is still brilliant and bright. And one of these days, you're going to go through those gates and you're going to lay it down before Jesus. And you know what I just think? I think at that particular moment when you have crossed, when you've crossed the finish line and you've made it, I think there's going to be cheers through all, all throughout heaven that are going to begin to rejoice. Another saint has made it. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's made it home. She's made it home. It's time to rejoice. The battle's over. The difficulties are done. The temptations are over. The discouragements are all thing of the past because we have made it. Could we stand together here this morning, or this afternoon rather? I know we sang it just recently, but it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. If I never get to see you again, will you meet me in heaven? Amen. By the help of God, if for some reason our paths never cross again, and I, I rather hope that they do, will you just, will you meet me in heaven and we'll look at each other and we're going to say it was worth it all. Amen. Brother Morford, do you have anything that you want to say? Well, well God bless you. Thank you so much for being so faithful to the, the services and this revival effort. And I trust it's been a blessing, a help and an encouragement to you. Let's just do something. Why don't we just all lift a, a prayer of praise to the Lord in closing. Father, what a joy to know that heaven is our hope. And one of these days, it's going to be our home. Thank you, dear Lord, that it's so going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. And Lord, we've made new friends and we've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus throughout this week. And Father, we just thank you for the privilege and we thank you for the joy of all of this. Cause our hearts to be found faithful and true. And Lord, may we make it home by the grace of God. We love you. We thank you. We bless you for all that you've done in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.